Hello and welcome to this special episode of Friend of the Court, where we are going to go behind the scenes and talk to the makers of the show. We are recording this before the season finale, and even though I know how it ends, I still can't wait to see how it all plays out. I am Vikram Shah, a writer and editor. I also happen to have a law degree. In the past, I've worked with a digital magazine called Fifty Two and the features publication Mint Lounge. And like many of you listening, I've been tripping on Friend of the Court season two, which, as again many of you know, is about India's most historic legal case, case Vanand Bharti versus State of Kerala. If I had to summarize the case in a line, which is a very hard thing to do, it was about whether some parts of the Indian Constitution are so sacred that even the Parliament can't amend them, and that's what's come to be called the basic structure of the Constitution. and i'll tell you why basic structure is a really big deal it's because it's about how we see ourselves as a nation right it's about what kind of values are non negotiable a lot of people who were involved with putting the uh, putting the podcast together here today with me there's ramya bodupali who's project lead for friend of the court at the anil devan foundation which has produced the podcast ramya is a co-researcher and co-writer of this podcast and i personally know that she's just generally given her days and nights to this for the past few months there's also bhavya dore freelance journalist and writer extraordinaire bhavya has co-researched and co-written this podcast with ramya there's lawrence liang you would have heard him tell some very juicy anecdotes on the podcast uh his day job is dean of the school of law governance and citizenship at the ambedkar university in delhi he's also an advisor to the anil devan foundation and the discoverer of the diaries of anil devan which is one of the reasons that this podcast exists um gaurav vaz is also with us producer and maestro of all things to do with audio sound so if you like the title track background music all of that is down to gaurav and his amazingly talented team you know back in law school uh kesavanand bharti used to be shorthand for everything that was long and tedious and boring because the judgment is more than 500 pages long and there are 13 judges on the bench but somehow uh, the team behind friend of the court has miraculously turned this into a thrilling high stakes story you know like almost an edge of your seat story about politics personalities and courtroom drama and in this making of episode we're going to pick their brains and we're going to talk about just how they managed to do this getting right into it i i want to know why keshavanand bharti because it is a daunting idea to even think about it so why keshavanand bharti and why the podcast format um 
Lawrence, I think if you want to, if you want to kind of get into that. Sure. Thanks, Vikram. Before I start, first want to say that, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure working with Ramya and Bhavya on this and also very appreciative of what Gaurav has done along with Sachi uh, on the sound because, you know, we are familiar with what it looks like and what it perhaps sounds like on text, um, but to hear it in its podcast form has actually been rather magical. Why did we choose to tell the story of Keshwanan Bharti? Because it needed to be told. It's a story that's familiar to a very large number of people, especially in the legal profession and, you know, for law students and legal academics. But it's a story that I think needed to be told to a much wider audience. There are hundreds of thousands of Supreme Court and High Court cases over the last, you know, 75 years. But there are cases and then there is the case. And in that sense, Keshwanan Bharti is the case. Just a little bit of background here. You know, initially, the entire project of the podcast, which began with season one, uh, began with a desire to do something with the notes that Mr. Anil Devan had left behind of the cases that he'd been involved with. And he'd been involved with, obviously, apart from Keshwanan Bharti, a large number of extremely important kind of public cases, some of which we dealt with in season one. And when I initially looked at the notes, I realized that it'd be very difficult to actually convert some of these notes into a book, um, which would still retain in a way, you know, the original flavor of the, the, the handwritten notes and the personal reflections. But going through them, I realized that what could be done was to actually figure out a format where we could tell the story of great constitutional cases and how they shaped Indian history. Um, and because I was listening to a few kind of, you know, legal podcasts at that point of time, figured that, wow, we actually don't have too many of these kind of, you know, uh, forms uh, to tell important legal stories. And that's when we actually started working on the podcast as a format the podcast as a format allows us all kinds of flexibilities. Uh, for one, it's a highly emotive, you know, medium. Uh, so you're bringing alive what would otherwise be relatively dry legal debates. Uh, and I think that that is, you know, a perfect medium to tell a story, story like Keshwanan Bharti. Keshwanan Bharti, you know, like any good blockbuster, has a little bit of everything. It has intrigue. It has drama. It has uh, suspense. It has larger-than-life characters. Um, perhaps the only thing missing is romance. We we might have to do another kind of you know um, subaltern history of what the the romantic stories behind Keshwan and Bharti were. But it has a little bit of everything. My personal interest in the area has always been in the intersection between law and popular culture. So my own work is on the filmic representations of law and justice in India. So my sense was that here was a story which didn't even need to be fictionalized because, you know, it had a lot more than what fiction could offer. And the podcast format seemed to allow for it because it allowed you to interview people. It allowed you to weave in audio material, archival material. And I think Ramya and Bhavya, uh, once they sunk their teeth into it, managed to dig up such incredible material that allowed us, you know, to tell the story in this way. 
Yeah, and um, and epic it is, right? I think you use the word epic to describe it. This this big kind of sprawling case with all these various strands, and I think the podcast is is an interesting. It offers like an interesting narrative structure to bring it bring it all together. I'd love to ask uh, Ramya and Gaurav actually if if there were references in mind. But was there stuff that you were listening to, and what was that like? Hi Vikram, thanks for the question. And again, it's been an absolute pleasure and a thrill to work on this uh, series with Bhavya Lawrence and Gaurav and the rest of the team. Um, as for the podcast uh, references that we had in mind, we mostly were looking at American shows like The Slow Burn. That was what I had in mind right from the beginning, even for season one. Uh, Slow Burn, of course, is a slate. Uh, is produced by Slate magazine and uh, it used to be hosted by Leon Mayfack. And their first season was about the Watergate scandal. And then, you know, they've done, I think, eight seasons now. And they have a similar template where they tell the stories of important political events and uh, court cases uh, and situate them in their political context and their social context. Uh, so that is our main inspiration that we need to, uh, you know, have a retelling of important legal cases in India in a similar manner. And then, of course, uh, Gaurav himself had certain references for how, uh, you know, the style should be the writing style or even how Raghu should be narrating it. For me, it was a couple of things. One, I did not want or I didn't want a podcast eventually that I myself would find hard to listen to. And I'm not anywhere close to as... uh, legally minded as the rest of you. So it was something that I can understand and keeps me engaged would be something that I thought people like me would like. And that's what I set out to produce. That was point one. And secondly, while the comparisons to Slow Burn and or rather the inspiration from Slow Burn and Radio Lab and really nicely produced podcasts are fantastic, us Indians are horrible at documenting our culture and history. But with with many of the podcasts I've produced in India in the past, I've realized that we're really bad at documenting our own story. So the truest form of the story that we could tell was, I think, what we aimed to get to. And being able to get some of these original notes, being able to speak to people who were in the courtroom arguing or part of the teams that argued these cases is something that you wouldn't otherwise, even in any sort of book format or any writing from that time, get one wholesome picture of it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, one thing you mentioned, Gaurav, I think was something that I was thinking about uh, while listening to to all the episodes and actually marveling at how you'll have kind of simplified it and made it more accessible, right? That's what you said, that you want someone without a legal background or without even knowing what this case is about. You want someone who stumbles across it on a, on a podcast app to come and, and listen to it. And so the question that I want to ask Ramya and Bhavya sort of from a writing room perspective is that uh, like a 101 would also mean, like trying to break it down and, and explain it would also mean that, you know, the law geeks, people who are all over this case and, uh, you know, who studied it and thought about it and argued it, there, there wouldn't be much new in it for them. Right. And, and that would also be like a big part of your audience. People who people are just so excited. I've seen I've seen so many lawyers on Twitter. Just they're so excited that there's content around this. And, you know, people are saying such nice things. 
but anything too technical and you kind of lose you lose the lay audience so what was that negotiation like for for you ramya and for you bhavya in the writing room neither bhavya nor i are lawyers although i i, I majored in political science in college and i also have a masters in law and politics so i was familiar with the story but not very much with the judgment or with the arguments in court um so and our first at least in this project our first um introduction to the case or the material was anil devan's notes and um, apart from the written submissions that you know he kept in his office uh he also had registers of written notes in his own handwriting about what was happening in court and you know th- there were also a lot of interesting stray notes that we couldn't include in the show you know they, they, i think i remember reading about uh him noting down that hmc uh, uh, why changed his spectacles after lunch break one of the days so it was these kind of things that humanized these characters and of course there were these other anecdotes about dilip kumar coming to court and then you know these lawyers hijacking cars and things like that so we knew that there was potential but at the same time we we are a podcast that talks about thing these things so we had three of us in the writing room it was uh, our legal researcher ashwarya chaturvedi you know she's a lawyer by training so she would break down these you know complex legal uh, concepts for us through her we understood how the courts stand changed through these 13 years and then i was uh, mainly doing the political research connecting what was happening in court to you know the political events of the day and then doing sort of the first draft and then of course bhavya also did some of the draft first drafts this season and also you know she was our first round of editing where she would just do some restructuring to the scripts and things like that uh but once that was done i think um we had our first drafts of the script ready sometime by may end i think and after that it was just four months of uh, bhavya myself uh, lorenz uh, ragu and supriya and even gorav just sitting down sometimes taking you know half a day or maybe two days to just simplify one sentence and just saying like how do we simplify what is article th- how do we simplify the relationship between article 313 and 368 and uh, bhavya also helpful because she came to this uh, almost totally green so and she was the ideal candidate for our, you know as a sample for our audience also so like if she doesn't understand it then we can't go forward and at times she would just say no it's okay you can uh, you don't have to pay attention to you know what i think but i'm like no i need to pay attention to what you think because if i can't explain it to you i can't we can't like possibly move forward and let bhavya also weigh in on you know what she thought about this whole process yeah like ramya said it was a constant negotiation between how much technical stuff you put in and who is the audience you're speaking to is ultimately the question right so that's also possibly a shape shifting figure it could be some a lawyer who knows the case very well it could be a relative um not relatively non informed person on this so yeah there was a constant debate about who we are catering to and how do we best serve that imaginary listener 
and there were many times where i didn't understand what was going on even like way months into the story i would come back and ask very dumb basic questions but you have to do that right otherwise you're going to tell people something that you don't understand that that then you're not going to be doing a very good job of explaining to it and like i told ramya at some points during the story and like there's that rule right where you say that if you have to break down a small and uh, a difficult concept are you able to explain it to your mother if you are then you've done it successfully so all i could think of was trying to explain it to my mother and her saying in tamil i just don't understand anything so that was that voice at the back of my head and if so so it you you just have to keep stopping and asking yourself does this make sense am i getting what i'm writing or just rewind and rework and so yeah there was a constant uh, process of back and forth and reworking got it and and lawrence since he sort of mentioned the constitution and, and love and i know bhavya you have covered the more unglamorous uh, reaches of our uh, legal system which is the criminal courts before as a journalist um, but did you and you ramya did you fall in love with the constitution like how did you how did you come out of it thinking that is this something that you'd want to defend to death Uh, i think we uh, you know developed feelings for some of the historical uh, personalities here <laughs> it's also been quite surreal you know writing it in this particular year because when we started writing this podcast the basic structure was of course a very important part of our you know constitutional life but we started work in honest in january this year and at that time that was the first time that the vice president questioned the basic structure in parliament and i don't remember his exact words but i think he said he couldn't respect uh, that doctrine and at that point we were like okay at least this is going to you know uh, keep this 50 year old case in the news so it's great for us to generate interest amongst the audience and then as the year went on by the time we were you know the fag end of our writing you had uh, the former chief justice and president rajya sabha mp ranjan gogoi questioning and you know saying that the doctrine has a doubtful basis and in those eight months we were just in the trenches you know reading up on pa- what palki wala was saying what indira gandhi was doing what cy was saying in court so at least for me it was it was a journey that at the end of which i was definitely more attuned to why this story needs to be told and because just the parallels are so eerie and um also you know you're reading about uh, for instance back in the 1970s you're reading about someone like kumar mangalam calling for a committed judiciary or he's talking about judges having a certain outlook and you see strains of that happening around you as well and you know you just realize that these uh debates are far from over and you know they could reignite any moment and also that's also why we need to remember this story thanks uh ramya i know that's that's super interesting and i want to throw this to gaurav now um about kind of the background score what is it like to score this season you know the background score the title track i read somewhere recently that acting is 60% voice and i feel like podcast is 60% or more than that sound right it's what it's what people talk about when they say that oh you know i i love listening to this narrative podcast what kind kind of keeps you in so what was it like to to score the season this was actually the title track was actually recreated 
luckily for us. I think the brief from Ramya when we first started was to make a podcast that wasn't overly produced, but just engaging at the same time. So the idea, at least for Sachi and me, when we started thinking about this was, how can we add enough music to, with the narrative podcast, at least my philosophy is, just as you're beginning to tune out because you you can't listen to someone's monotone voice for a long time uh, and and you, when you're explaining legal concepts there's no you can't dramatize it in your voice you have to explain it in a way that's clear so as ragu is going through and if you're starting to tune out or even as a guest is guest voice is speaking for a duration and as you're starting to tune out, can I introduce some music that suddenly brings you back to it to just, oh, what, what's happening now? Let me pay attention for some more time. And music weaves in and out. The addition of the the clips from the past, and I really fought for this, was, uh, <laughs> was something that just worked, especially the Ambedkar speech, right? At the, the first thing you hear is Ambedkar and then Indira Gandhi and then Palgi Bala. Uh, the Palkiwala edition was something Ramya fought for and the Ambedkar edition was something I fought for. Though Ambedkar, Ambedkar's quotes don't feature in the podcast at all. Uh, he was critical and instrumental in writing the constitution, which is where this whole thing stems from. So for me, he was, and it also just sounds great when it starts with that rousing line. Uh, the idea was to, to I think, in the last season, Ramya was very partial to uh, the violins and she really wanted to retain as much of a violin-based musical score, though we tried to push her further and further away from it. Uh, this was the compromise we arrived at. Also, shout out to Sachi. Uh, she's done such a phenomenal job. And at first, uh, I'll be totally honest here, I was a little uh, nervous because you know this is a big case again and you know would she get the subtext and all of that but she's done such a fantastic job phenomenal absolutely with legal text you're always accustomed to reading them on on the page but you know that half of what actually happens in a courtroom happens through gesture through tone you know and it's very difficult when you're reading a text to actually recreate that and what I found quite remarkable about, you know, this coming together between Ramya and Bhavya's writing and Gaurav and Sachi's, you know, kind of sound design and music, was it actually captured mood and it located Keshwananda not just in terms of the history of fact or the history of law. What it managed to do was really create, in a way, an atmosphere of for Kishwan the Bharti. And I think another thing that obviously contributes to this thing of multiple voices and, you know, you keep changing it up is, of course, your interviewees. I mean, these are doyens of the bar, like some of the biggest names uh, in sort of law and litigation in India. And you got them to narrate these absolutely fantastic, riveting anecdotes. Uh, what was that like? So for the first few interviews, which we did in person with two of the original surviving participants, we had made lists of stuff that we knew had happened. And then we wanted to jog their memories on that. And you have to remember that at least three or four of our interviewees are over the age of 85. So it's not like 
you can just turn on the button and like a jukebox they're just going to say everything right it will require some prodding some uh, memory and recall and all of that so yeah for those first few interviews we were also new into the process so we also had to remind ourselves that okay this incident happened this happened we have to get him to talk about this judge or that date or this judgment so yeah but then as you go along you become more of a well-oiled machine and then you also of course like with every interview you go in with a certain set of questions and then it all just spontaneously evolves and flows from there and then obviously they're also going to tell you new stuff and uh, there's going to be discovery along the way and uh, yeah that's that's about and then some of the interviews we did online of I, i mean generally you get better stuff when you meet someone but you couldn't be flying all over the country to meet people so most many of the interviews were online and um in a few cases maybe people asked us for questions in advance because they wanted to remember what had happened uh so we did some of that yeah and we also sat and with some of our interviews especially the ones that we did in person uh nantara saigal sandeep thakur uh who, you know who passed away while the pod- i think two days after the podcast was released uh dandiwala we sat and chatted with them for almost hour and a half two hours and they were quite patient initially i think you know uh, uh, most of them were a little unsure of what's happening you know podcast is a new format people are not familiar with it and many of them thought that they're going to be we're going to be video recording them as well so they will turn up all prim and proper you <laughs> think just relax you can be in your pajamas or whatever but um and then it would take them about 20 25 minutes to warm up and then they would just they would realize that bhavya and i just like all years we just listening to their stories is just there for the, for their stories and not cross questioning them in any serious manner so and then they would warm up and all the stories would tumble out one after the other and uh, uh, and then of course it was left to us about how um we you know incorporated that into the script uh there were also some, some interviews especially lorenz uh, i think we recorded with him thrice because he was also our in house expert so we exploited him to the maximum and we would just say lawrence need this additional quote there we need a little quote here and i think lawrence was the longest interview even the first one that we did i think it was about 2 hours or something and i think you you also mentioned about like how did we get them to um you know especially experts like lawrence namita wahi gautam bhatia how did we get them to like, break these things down so lucidly um again it was a combination of you know which of which parts of the interview that we're picking up without have you know without of course being mindful of not misquoting them and of course writing it in the script so sometimes it would mean that you know in the script in the lead up to that excerpt you're doing a long explanation or you're doing a long explanation after that so nantara segal again you know we we'd gone down to her place we first tried interviewing her on online but she wasn't able to figure out riverside so we flew down to uh, dehradun and you know again super sweet uh, very welcoming we entered the house uh, i think i was only one who went and you just see pictures of nehru all over the walls <laughs> you know nehru and her mother nantara sengal's mother vijay lakshmi pandit you know in like casual family pictures so it was quite surreal but i think um the interview that will stay the longest with uh both bhavya and me would be sandeep thakur's interview uh you know he he was 89 when we spoke to him and um 
you know he had a tongue surgery about 8 years ago something and you know it impaired his speech but he was so enthusiastic throughout the interview just full of stories and waiting to tell us those stories it also felt like these people were just waiting for someone to ask right and we were here uh, to people who seemed relatively who looked relatively young and were interested in these stories from 50 years ago i th- i think they were all just quite uh stumped by that fact alone <laughs> and they were just more than willing to tell us their stories you know in terms of the breaking down of the legal concepts you know in the long conversations i had with bhavya and ramya for me it was very clear there was something called the bhavya litmus test which was marked by how much bhavya was frowning right so if she continued frowning then you knew that the you hadn't broken down the concept and then you'd have to go all over again and i think that there was one particular section you know which um, after months of the of work bhavya basically very kind of straight talk says you know i still don't get this you know 13 368 kind of thing um and that you know creates a bit of panic so then you you try all over again and i hope that we pass the bhavya frown litmus test for the lay listener yeah i'm not going to blame bhavya because uh, i mean on episode 5 or 6 i think you know there's there's a whole set piece about the case being reviewed uh in front of justice ray's bench if i'm not if i'm not mistaken and and one of the judges themselves or two of the judges say that you know what we don't understand this judgment so there are supreme court judges sitting there saying that we don't understand what's going on and that uh, obviously annoys uh, mr nani palkila wala a lot and all of these f- fascinating kind of characters right they were just like you said they're characters in their own right um and and all the anecdotes that you kind of narrate through the episode show like different facets of their personality their own kind of little rivalries uh, with 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 each other and like their friendships and all of that uh lawrence i'll put this to you if you were casting for screen right tomorrow if someone comes and says to you that you know we should adapt this into a series uh on an ott platform and you know you're casting for these characters uh who would you get to play who is something i'm curious about so here's a confession right vikram which is the fact that i already have an answer to this <laughs> shows you that we have been thinking about this for a while and we have already imagined the possibilities of this becoming a, a a tv series or or a film because it deserves it uh so i have my two candidates as far as you know um palkiwala and um sirvaya concerned and this is not it only coincidentally happens to map out on two parsi actors but i think boman irani would make a rather good palkiwala uh you know with the right makeup etc he would get the tone he would he has that kind of you know the sense of the erudition that he would be able to convey uh and given that you know sirvai in terms of how he looked he was you know uh lean tall sharp nosed uh very proper i mean you know kind of dropped out of cambridge into bombay right like the old elite parsis did i think jim sarb might be a good sirvai um and finally of course who would play indira gandhi so i haven't seen you know sam bahadur once i watch it then we'll take a call on whether to retain uh you know 
Sanya, not Sanya. It was Fatima Sanya Sheikh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 see about whether we retain her or find someone else. Yeah, and I hope someone's listening who can like make this happen, make this uh, come alive. Just just call us. Okay. Uh, then just to kind of sort of round things up and bring bring it back to the to the present day. I think Ramya touched upon this earlier. There's a lot of contemporary like chat about the relevance of this of the basic structure doctrine, and uh, you know there's been a lot of chat about case the case this year because of the 50th anniversary. The Supreme Court's released uh, a video kind of commemorating the case in a bunch of uh, languages, uh, and even after that bit, I think when uh, you know when the vice president kind of called this. The, the basic structure doctrine into question. Uh, the current chief justice very subtly, or I think, uh, said that you know it's in a in a context that it's the north star. Keshwanand Bharti is the north star uh, ca- kind of judgment. Where do you think we are at? You know, with this, and what is you know the overall relevance of this of this doctrine today? Uh, I I'll just say one thing about uh, how Justice Chandrachud. Um, has expressed his views about the basic structure in the public domain and then probably hand this question over to Lawrence. Um, you know, this comment that he made about the North Star was probably late last year or probably early this year. And it's very interesting that, you know, once these comments have started coming from the government questioning the basic structure. And um, I think it was in August this year that he was speaking at the Ram Jait Malani uh, memorial lecture. It was a centenary lecture, and uh, the topic of the lecture was the basic structure and whether it has served our democracy well. And uh, he just refused to wade into the topic. He said, "You know, I, that, that's something that I would do through my uh, judgments and not through off off the court pronouncements." And that tells you something about the shift in the discourse yeah you know if we go back <clears throat> to the courtroom particularly to nani palkiwala's arguments palkiwala was sounding a warning bell right in a lot of his arguments about the dangers of um, parliamentary supremacy uh, if an authoritarian regime were to come into place uh, and a lot of his arguments were not you know were being kind of refuted by the other side saying that you're basically fearmongering here i think what is really incredible uh, about the keshwanand bharti case is that it's a legal judgment that in a way was ratified by politics because everything that the judgment warned of came true in the emergency and in this kind of very very dark period of indian history where something so fundamental as whether or not india would remain a democracy was up for grabs because it wasn't you know for between 75 to 77 you have this kind of really a, a, um, a, a kind of a situation where you're at a crossroad about whether you will continue to remain a democracy or slide entirely into authoritarianism uh, and the one shining hope that emerged from all of that was keshwanand bharti because keshwanand bharti said that you know that your commitment is not to a very 
narrow horizon of political interest. Your commitment cannot be to a very narrow temporal horizon of what is important today and what makes, you know, kind of what, what is expedient today. There has to be a commitment to something which is larger. And that intangible value that you're committed to in the form of the basic structure of the constitution, I think that that really the reason why we use the word epic for the case is that more than merely its legal value, Keshwanand Bharti takes on the role of really, you know, bearing the burden of being of of being of having a mythic and a symbolic value. And I think this is really why even today, at a time when there are all kinds of political uncertainties, when we see echoes from the past in contemporary politics, etc., Keshwanand Bharti stands both as a legal, but also as a symbolic bulwark against the possibility of any kind of slight to authoritarianism. You know, as a legal doctrine, it's come under heavy criticism. And as a legal doctrine, one could say that, you know, Keshwanand Bharti and the basic structure doctrine is relatively leaky. So it might be a leaky umbrella, but it's the only one you have when it rains, and we'll hold on to it. A special sort of hat tip to Raghu Karnat, who was the narrator of this podcast. Of course, someone himself with... uh, with such a strong sense of history, uh, with all the books that he's written and kind of the work that he does as, as a journalist and a writer. Um, how, did, how did you zero in on Raghu? I know that he narrated the first season too. So maybe you can kind of take us back to uh, sort of the initial conversations with him and, and why Raghu and, and how did that work? Did you all, were you all around when he was recording in the studio as writers? Yes. Uh, so Raghu, we reached out to him back in um, April 2021, just before the second wave of COVID hit. And, um, you know, I wrote a very formal email to him saying, oh, dear Mr. Raghu Karnad, would you be interested in doing this? And he, he immediately wrote back saying that, you know, he was quite uh, keen on doing it. And at that point, we had just one script of the Jain Hawala Diaries the first episode ready and it was uh, nowhere near as uh, polished as it was uh, as it sounds in the episode but he just saw but I guess he saw the potential in it and he came on board immediately he gave pretty invaluable guidance as to like how do you how should you approach a story and how do you write it out and things like that and then when it come it when it came to the recordings also you know before we went into recordings Especially this season, we did uh, table reads for each of the episodes, and you know we were we insisted that we need to do it for every episode because again, you know, just the magnitude of this case and the concepts involved, and uh, we obviously didn't want him to say anything that he was not comfortable saying, whether it was the tone or or whether it was you know particular words or whatever it may be. So, you know, we met in Bombay sometimes, we met online sometimes, and we would just spend three or four hours perhaps on each script going line by line uh, making sure that you know it is again it was a process of negotiation where you know he we we were mostly in agreement but there were certain points where he would want to say it a certain way and you know we we would have to make sure again that it was accurate and you know it was flowing well with the rest of the story and all of that 
Um, and then, of course, Gaurav gave him a few pointers about how, you know, the, the tone that he should adopt uh, while narrating it. And I think the only brief he had was it should feel like you're sitting in the room uh, and telling, you know, a room full of people this story. And I think he's nailed that, uh, absolutely nailed it this time. And um, and then, of course, even in studio, uh, we were with him, you know, again, it's just that it is this case, right? It is so heavy. It is so technical. And like we just heard, Bhavya had questions about, uh, you know, some of the concepts, even after months of working on it. So it's not easy to wrap your head around it. So, which is why we wanted to be in the studio just to make sure that while Raghu was reading it, you know, he, there are no hiccups. And even beyond, you know, just the outward things like his voice, which is just butter. You you just know that someone like Raghu Karnad, he just makes it so believable that he knows the story and he's telling you the story. You know, it, again, it's got to do with his own background in political writing and political journalism. And I think the only time that we were um, a little, I wouldn't say unsure, but we, we were, you know, in two minds about uh, him as a host was, again, this is, a, this is because the time period in which this uh, story is set, you know, there are absolutely no women, or, except for Nayantara Saigal and Namita Vahi as a commentator in the story as guest speakers. So we would have liked it if we had a, you know, woman host, but Raghu's just such a great fit. And, you know, this whole woman question goes out of the window the moment you look at our writer's room, which is just filled with women running it. And of course, we, we also had Supriya Nair helping us with the editing. I'm going to ask something that's been on the minds of a lot of your listeners. And that is what is coming after this? Like, uh, is it going to be another big case or are you going to try something different? But what's what's next from the Anil Devan Foundation stables? So without committing absolutely, uh, because we still to do all the work for it, it's going to be very different. Um, we initially thought about possibilities. One possibility was, you know, the, a, a kind of grand history of civil liberties in India. Another one was on great legal trials that have shaped Indian history. But having gone through you know, a range of emotions while working on season two, what we want to do uh, for season three is actually the story of law and emotions, an emotional history of law told through rage, passion, grief, love, anger, jealousy, etc. So yeah, uh, we don't know much beyond that, but hopefully it should be as fun and as uh, informative as the first two seasons were. Great thing I think that's come out of this discussion, this little discussion that we've had here, is some very compelling insights about what it takes to put together a world-class narrative podcast, you know. And uh, I think this gives a very sharp sense of like the month's worth of research, writing, rewriting, audio design, interviewing, coordination, all of it that has gone behind each episode of, you know, 30, 30 to 45 minutes. So having said all this, can't wait to see what you guys are cooking up for season three. You've given us a bit of a teaser already. 
um and it sounds super interesting and hopefully you know we can come back next season and do this again